Chapter Twenty Three of Indiana. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Herndon Bell. Indiana by George Sand. Translated by George Burnham Ives. Chapter Twenty Three letter from madame delmar to monsieur de ramiere ile bourbon june the third eighteen i had determined to weary you no more with reminders of me but after reading on my arrival here the letter you sent me just before i left paris i feel that i owe you a reply because in the agitation caused by horrible suffering i went too far i was mistaken with regard to you and i owe you an apology not as a lover but as a man forgive me raymon for in the most ghastly moment of my life i took you for a monster a single word a single glance from you banished all confidence and all hope from my heart forever i know that i can never be happy again but i still hope that i may not be driven to despise you that would be the last blow yes i took you for a dastard for the worst of all human creatures an egotist i conceived a horror of you i regretted that bourbon was not so far away as i longed to fly from you and indignation gave me strength to drain the cup to the dregs but since i have read your letter i feel better i do not regret you but i no longer hate you and i do not wish to leave your life a prey to remorse for having ruined mine be happy be free from care forget me i am still alive and i may live a long while it is a fact that you are not to blame i was the one who was mad your heart was not dry but it was closed to me you did not lie to me but i deceived myself you were neither perjured nor cold you simply did not love me oh mon dieu you did not love me in heaven's name how must you be loved but i will not stoop to complaints i am not writing to you for the purpose of poisoning with hateful memories the repose of your present life nor do i propose to implore your compassion for sorrows which i am not strong enough to bear alone on the contrary knowing better the role for which you are suited i absolve you and forgive you i will not amuse myself by refuting the charges in your letter it would be too easy a matter i will not reply to your observations with regard to my duties never fear raymond i am familiar with them and i did not love you little enough to disregard them without due reflection it is not necessary to tell me that the scorn of mankind would have been the reward of my downfall i was well aware of it I knew, too, that the stain would be deep, indelible, and painful beyond words, that I should be spurned on all sides, cursed, covered with shame, and that I should not find a single friend to pity me and comfort me. The only mistake I had made was the feeling confident that you would open your arms to me, and that you would assist me to forget the scorn, the misery, and the desertion of my friends. The only thing I had not anticipated was that you might refuse to accept my sacrifice after i had consummated it i had imagined that that was impossible 
I went to your house with the expectation that you would repel me at first from principle and a sense of duty, but firmly convinced that when you learned the inevitable consequences of what I had done, you would feel bound to assist me to endure them. No, upon my word I would never have believed that you would abandon me undefended to the consequences of such a dangerous resolution, and that you would leave me to gather its bitter fruits instead of taking me to your bosom and making a rampart of your love. In that case, how gladly I would have defied the distant mutterings of a world that was powerless to injure me, how I would have defied hatred, being strong in your love, how feeble my remorse would have been, and how easily the passion you would have inspired would have stifled its voice. Engrossed by you alone, I would have forgotten myself. Proud in the possession of your heart, I should have had no time to blush for my own. A word from you, a glance, a kiss, would have sufficed to absolve me, and the memory of men and laws could have found no place in such a life. You see, I was mad. According to your cynical expression, I had acquired my knowledge of life from novels written for ladies' maids, from those gay childish works of fiction in which the heart is interested in the success of wild enterprises and in impossible felicities. What you said, Raymond, was horribly true. The thing that terrifies and crushes me is that you are right. One thing that I cannot understand so well is that the impossibility was not the same for both of us. That I, a weak woman, derive from the exultation of my feelings sufficient strength to place myself alone in a romantic, improbable situation, and that you, a brave man, could not find in your will-power a sufficient courage to follow me. And yet you had shared my dreams of the future, you had assented to my illusions, you had nourished in me that hope impossible of realization. For a long while you had listened to my childish plans, my pygmy-like aspirations, with a smile on your lips and joy in your eyes, and your words were all love and gratitude. You too were blind, short-sighted, boastful. How did it happen that your reason did not return until the danger was in sight? Why, I thought that danger charmed the eyes strengthen the resolution, put fear to flight, and yet you trembled like a leaf when the crisis came. Have you men no courage except the physical courage that defies death? Are you not capable of the moral courage that welcomes misfortune? Do you, who explain everything so admirably, explain that to me, I beg? It may be that your dream was not like mine. In my case, you see, courage was love. You had fancied that you loved me, and you had awakened, surprised to find that you had made such a mistake, on the day when I went forward trusting in the shelter of my mistake. Great God! What an extraordinary delusion it was of yours, since you did not then foresee all the obstacles that struck you when the time for action came, since you did not mention them to me until it was too late." But why should I reproach you now? Are we responsible for the impulses of our hearts? Was it in your power to say that you would always love me? No, of course not. My misfortune consists in my inability to make myself agreeable to you longer and more really. I look about for the cause of it, 
and find none in my heart, but it apparently exists nonetheless. Perhaps I loved you too well. Perhaps my affection was annoying and tiresome. You were a man. You loved liberty and pleasure. I was a burden to you. Sometimes I tried to put fetters on your life. Alas, those were very paltry offenses to plead in justification of such a cruel desertion. Enjoy, therefore, the liberty you have purchased at the expense of my whole life. I will interfere with it no more. Why did you not give me this lesson sooner? My wound would have been less deep, and yours also, perhaps. Be happy. That is the last wish my broken heart will ever form. Do not exhort me to think of God. Leave that for the priest, who have to soften the hard hearts of the guilty. For my part, I have more faith than you. I do not serve the same God, but I serve him more loyally and with a purer heart. Yours is the God of men, the king, the founder, and the upholder of your race. Mine is the God of the universe, the creator, the preserver, and the hope of all creatures. Yours made everything for you alone. Mine made all created things for one another. You deem yourselves the masters of the world. I deem you only its tyrants. You think that God protects you and authorizes you to possess the empire of the earth. I think that he permits that for a little time, and that the day will come when his breath will scatter you like grains of sand. No, Raymond, you do not know God. Or rather, let me repeat what Ralph said to you one day at Lagny. You believe in nothing. Your education and your craving for an irresistible power to oppose to the brute force of the people have led you to adopt without scrutiny the beliefs of your fathers. But the conviction of God's existence has never reached your heart. I doubt if you have ever prayed to him. For my part, I have but one belief, the only one probably that you have not. I believe in him. But the religion you have devised I will have nothing to do with. All your morality, all your principles, are simply the interest of your social order, which you have raised to the dignity of laws, and which you claim to trace back to God himself, just as your priests instituted the rites and ceremonies of the church to establish their power over the nations and amass wealth. But it is all falsehood and impiety. I, who invoke God and understand him, know that there is nothing in common between him and you, and that by clinging to him with all my strength I separate myself from you, whose constant aim it is to overthrow his works and sully his gifts. I tell you it ill becomes you to invoke his name to crush the resistance of a poor weak woman, to stifle the lamentations of a broken heart. God does not choose that the creations of his hands shall be oppressed and trodden under foot. If he vouchsafed to descend so far as to intervene in our paltry quarrels, he would crush the strong and raise the weak. He would pass his mighty hand over our uneven heads and level them like the surface of the sea. He would say to the slave, Cast off thy chains and fly to the mountains, where I have placed water and flowers and sunshine for thee. He would say to the kings, Throw your purple robes to the beggars to sit upon, and go to sleep in the valleys where I have spread for you carpets of moss and heather. To the powerful he would say, 
bend your knees and bear the burdens of your weaker brethren for henceforth you will need them and i will give them strength and courage yes those are my dreams they are all of another life of another world where the laws of the brutal will not have passed over the heads of the peaceably inclined where resistance and flight will not be crimes where man can escape man as the gazelle escapes the panther where the chain of the law will not be stretched about him to force him to throw himself under his enemy's feet and where the voice of prejudice will not be raised in his distress to insult his sufferings and to say to him you shall be deemed cowardly and base because you did not bend the knee and crawl no do not talk to me about god you of all men raymond do not invoke his name to send me into exile and reduce me to silence in submitting as i do i yield to the power of men if i listen to the voice which god has placed in the depths of my heart and to the noble instinct of a bold and strong nature which perhaps is the genuine conscience i should fly to the desert i should learn to do without help protection and love i should go and live for myself in the heart of our beautiful mountains i should forget the tyrants the unjust and the ungrateful but alas man cannot do without his fellow-man and even ralph cannot live alone adieu raymond may you be happy without me i forgive you for the harm you have done me talk of me sometimes to your mother the best woman i have ever known understand that there is neither anger nor vengeance in my heart against you my grief is worthy of the love i had for you indiana the unfortunate creature was over boastful this profound and calm sorrow was due simply to a sense of what her own dignity demanded when she addressed raymond but when she was alone she gave way freely to its consuming violence sometimes however a vague gleam of hope shone in her troubled eyes perhaps she had never lost the last vestige of confidence in raymond's love despite the cruel lessons of experience despite the distressing thoughts which placed before her mind every day his indifference and indolence when his interests or his pleasures were not concerned it is my belief that if indiana could have persuaded herself to face the bald truth she would not have dragged out her hopeless ruined life so long a woman is naturally foolish it is as if heaven to counterbalance the eminent superiority over us men which she owes to her delicacy of perception had implanted a blind vanity an idiotic credulity in her heart it may be that one need only be an adept in the art of bestowing praise and flattering the self-esteem to obtain dominion over that subtle supple and perspicacious being sometimes the men who are most incapable of obtaining any kind of ascendancy over other men obtain an unbounded ascendancy over the minds of women flattery is the yoke that bends those ardent but frivolous heads so low woe to him who undertakes to be frank and outspoken in love he will have ralph's fate this is what i should reply if you should tell me that indiana is an exceptional character and that the ordinary woman displays neither her stoical coolness nor her exasperating patience in resistance to conjugal despotism i should tell you to look at the reverse of the medal and see the miserable weakness the stupid blindness she displays in her relations with raymond 
I should ask you where you ever found a woman who was not as ready to deceive as be deceived, who had not the art to confine for ten years in the depths of her heart the secret of a hope sacrificed so thoughtlessly in a day of frenzied excitement, and who would not become in one man's arms as pitiably weak as she could be strong and invincible in another man's. End of chapter 23